Welcome to Realcast, the weekly roundup of the real asset markets. My name's Richard Betts, and I'm joined by James Wallace, Nicole Dines, and Paul Strom. Um, let's start with you, James. Um, what have you been following this week? Yeah, the Times uh, last week reported that Brookfield's increased its stake in British land, having first uh, taken out a 7.3% stake in about May. Uh, this is adding some further speculation that there might be an impending future takeover. Uh, Brookfield increased its holding to 9.2% according to regulatory filing last year. And this acquisition of this equity stake comes after uh, Brookfield's chief executive, Bruce Flapp, met his senior team in London uh, this month which is prompting rumours that he's eyeing private equity deals for British companies. As we know, British Land uh, reported just a couple of weeks ago a £1.2 billion uh, portfolio devaluation. Uh, it's now down to about £11 billion, and its market capitalisation is now just over £3 billion, which has actually almost halved over the course of this year. The second story that I was talking about this week was actually uh, just also in the UK around the government's moratorium on evicting commercial tenants from commercial properties. They've now extended that to the end of the year to protect certain businesses that have been you know, hammered by the coronavirus. Under the extended ban that was originally imposed uh, back in March uh, and had been due to expire later this month, landlords can't kick out tenants even if they don't pay rent. So this decision, of course, is contentious. For some consumer-facing companies, of course, retail, entertainment and leisure, it provides a, a commercial lifeline uh, for companies. But critics say it, it can also kick the can down the road and it redirects the strain onto landlords. Uh, the BPF CEO, Melanie Leach, described the decision as hugely disappointing. And she argues that many well-capitalized businesses have exploited the blanket moratorium, uh, refusing to pay rent despite being able to afford to. It was really interesting, actually, at, uh, at RealX, talking to uh, both the panels from the US market, but also the Asian market, um, and just explaining some of the, you know, some of the things that were in place in the UK and in Europe versus what was happening in, in Asia and the US. So it was really interesting to, to get that perspective. And I just want to say thank you also to um, all the exhibitors, the, the 70 speakers and the over a thousand attendees who were at the Back to Business launch event at, at RealX. Um, Nicole, um, you were following some of the events there as well and the, and the news this week. So, so what did you pick up? I had a few very interesting panels um, and uh, there seemed to be quite a, a lot of consensus on the main trends. Um, on the capital uh, flows, uh, there was uh, some data from Simon Mallinson from um, RCA who was saying that Europe has performed far better than uh, either Asia or, or the US where um, vest volumes have dropped by some 40% in the first half of the year, but Europe has remained remarkably uh, resilient. But uh, digging a bit deeper, um, there have been, uh, the numbers have been skewed by a few large deals. For example, Blackstone's 4.7 billion pound acquisitions of IQ uh, student accommodation in the UK. Uh, so there have been a, a few big deals, uh, mainly prompted by US capital. And then the, while the, the, deal, the little deals, the smaller deals below 50 million have um, have halved and um, and Jason Oram of Europa Capital was pointing out how dangerous that is and if it continues because uh, Europe the European market thrives on being uh, buried so it can't just rely on a few big deals but it needs the sort of uh, the, the, the very many smaller deals to, to have to retain the depth and the interest uh, from investors so that's uh, that's that's Europe and within Europe obviously a very different picture with Germany being the standout market showing that it's very resilient but in fact second 
concourse and numbers in Germany were higher uh, this year than they were last year. Um, and uh, part of the reason is the strength of the domestic market. That's been a recurring theme when we're in the markets where with a strong domestic capital base have done have performed much better. The other reason is obviously uh, Germany is seen as a safe haven and a um, haven of stability, but also it's seen as we haven't reacted very well to, to the COVID-19 uh, crisis and that's a theme that again uh, um, was carried through. Um, Natalie Breen of PwC was saying that over the next few months investors will really make decisions uh, and start rethinking about joining the market and making investments but they will really look at what governments are doing and how they're coping with the COVID-19 uh, crisis. And um, there was a very interesting report from uh, from CMS, the law firm. This year, it was focused on the effect on COVID-19 on the market. And uh, there seemed to be optimism. Um, the majority of players think that uh, the market will will bounce back, that there is a f strong future for real estate. But it will be different. And it will be, they call it an ESG-led reset of the market. So a lot more focus on uh, on ESG themes, on sustainability, on, on health. And obviously, there's a big question mark about offices, although most most, most um, people seem to believe the offices will come back in some way. Um, and uh, they were, in fact, that even the floor plates will not change, but it will actually the space within the offices will change. Um, but the same, it will be the same amount of space, but, uh, but it will just be divided up differently. And obviously the, the other thing that comes up from this survey is that the sectors uh, that have done well and will continue to do well, well, all healthcare related sectors and, um, and logistics, as we know. Yeah, and that's interesting. That picks up a, a number of the themes that, that were coming through very strongly, I think, at, at RealX in terms of the number of the panels, particularly that ESG side, um, but also human capital, um, health, impact investing were all, were all themes that, that kind of came through. Um, Paul, what, what did you pick up this week? At that uh, the human capital ESG and winning cities session at RealX, the consensus was that institutions and larger firms have, have realized and embraced ESG uh, although smaller smaller firms and, uh, and and smaller tenants are still sort of fairly focused on uh, rents and yields but one of the uh, last sh uh, Schnidrig of um, uh, core state capital their CEO gave an indication of some of the practicalities involved um, and you know obviously nothing's done overnight and he was saying that for his company uh, the ESG monitoring process started uh, two years ago um, with environmental reporting, mainly driven by clients who want to know how much CO2 their buildings emit. Um, and, but he said that it'll take another one or two years before the, the, the information on the S and G, the social and governance uh, elements of ESG are available. Um, and he, he said that uh, many investors are asking for ESG reports, but um, a lot of companies don't have the IT systems to, to, com to comply with that. And that was something echoed by Christian Conrads of PwC, who said there's been um, rapid development and acceptance of the need for transparency, but she, she stressed that you need to look at the life cycle of a building. Um, uh, but there tends to be a, a, a dearth of, uh, of data um, because it's not handed on every time a um, a building changes hands and so people are reinventing the wheel so she suggested that there should be some kind of land registry of uh, building data. In news stories uh, last week we were reminded uh, more than once that the goalposts for ESG and everything else are moving courtesy of coronavirus 
and research firm Capital Economics have undertaken a survey which looks at the outlook for housing, but actually is also an interesting pointer for the future of offices. And the firm believes that just over 20% of office workers will still be working from home in the US in 2022, with a further 30% doing so at least uh, one day a week. The report says that prior to coronavirus, the effects of extended home working were not really well understood by most businesses. But it says that in the last six months have been a, a largely successful live experiment in home working um, and that the barriers of, to a, a more remote workforce have been broken down. Um, and Eurostat data um, show that in the UK, 4.7% of employed persons reported that home, home is their main place of work in 2019. And in Europe, the figure was 5.3%. By June this year, the figure ranged from around 60% in UK, Belgium, Spain, France, and the Netherlands, and 40% in Germany. Obviously, that's substantially temporary, but the firm expects that an element of that will be permanent. There was a very good presentation from Sean Cooley, actually, around transformation. And I think that's a topic we'll maybe come back to next week. Um, but in the meantime... Thanks, James, Paul and Nicole. Thank you for joining us and look forward to seeing you next week for our roundup of the key themes in real assets. Thank you. Thank you.